0: Do you obsess over whether your loved one will stop drinking? Do you obsess over what might happen, the possible disaster scenarios in the future? Or maybe you can't stop chewing over something that happened in the past. Welcome to episode 197 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Sarah, Eric, Charlotte, Michelle, and Marin. They use the donation button on our website. Thank you. Sarah, Eric, Charlotte, Michelle, and Marin, for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we at The Recovery Show may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope you, you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I am your host today. I want to start this topic with a reading, and there were there were so many choices about obsession, obsessive thinking, but I chose this one. It's from our daily reader, Courage to Change, May twentieth. Like alcoholism, obsessive thinking can be too much to handle. My best hope in battling it is not to begin, because once started it gains steam and becomes harder to interrupt. Before obsessive thinking takes hold, there's usually a point at which I have to make a choice. I can opt to mentally toy with a subject that has held my mind hostage in the past and is therefore dangerous, or I can recognize the danger and try to drop any thoughts of the topic from my mind, praying for my higher power's help. I can reach out to an Al-Anon member for support before tackling a topic to which I am vulnerable so that my thoughts won't have a chance to get locked inside my head. I will exercise the power of choice by refusing the invitation of obsessive thoughts. If I don't pick them up, I won't have to let them go. Today's reminder says, I am learning to pay attention to my thinking. If there is something I cannot contemplate without becoming obsessed, I will respect that fact and act accordingly. I will gather the strength and support of my al program, my friends, and my higher power before I try to reason it out. And if it is none of my business, I won't pick it up at all. This is sort of a big topic, I think, for me and maybe for you too. And I think it's also a great follow-on to last week's topic of resentment that Eric and I talked about because I know that I have spent hours thinking obsessively about things that I have resentments over. And I think we talked a little bit about how resentment can be a sort of addictive thing. So let's uh, let's go ahead and, and dive into this topic of, of obsessive thinking. And I'm going to start with a quick look at what do I mean when I say obsessive thinking and And I want to make it clear that I'm not talking about actual OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder. That is something that I think requires the help of a trained professional to deal with. I'm talking about those thoughts that circle around in our head that, as Eric likes to put it, has the hamster strapping on his Nikes for a run in the wheel. Some other words that I sometimes use here are wallowing, wallowing in negative thoughts in particular, wallowing in my fear and despair, hanging on to resentments, replaying, replaying the event or events that led to holding a resentment, just playing them over and over and, I don't know, somehow wishing they would come out differently, which they never do because they're in the past. Ruminating, chewing over, I think I said, past wrongs or future problems. Lying in bed at night, just letting my mind go down that dark, dark path to The future of being homeless, sleeping in our car, not having any money, being in in total debt, or death. That can happen with unchecked addiction or alcoholism. Looping thoughts, a sequence of thoughts looping over and over and over in my head. It's another form of obsessive thinking. What sort of things did I, do I, obsess about? Well, back when my loved one was still drinking, figuring out how to get her to stop drinking, or just thinking about... The fact that I can't get her to stop drinking and just letting those thoughts loop in my head, letting them run over and over and over and over, lying awake with my brain running at a million miles per second, not able to go to sleep, watching how much she drinks, particularly if we were out somewhere, which, you know, stopped happening after a while, but just counting the bottles, counting the bottles and the recycling, I couldn't make myself not do that. Oh, last night wasn't so bad. It was only two bottles. Okay. How much will it be tonight? How much is it this week? How much money is she spending on alcohol? Oh my God. And then running over the problems that came in, in quotes because of the drinking. And some of them were a direct result, but many of them were really a result of how I reacted. But there were, there were problems, money problems. I remember one night I went outside and discovered the hose had been left on. I think she'd been watering and just forgot to turn it off. And I started just thinking about well, what if it had been running all night, and you know, water running into the basement, and our water bill going way up, and on, and on and on and on and on and on, couldn't stop. Oh my God, this is horrible. What's going to happen next? You know what? This time it was just water outside, but you know, what if it was something else? Could be, uh, could burn the house down. I don't know. <sighs> what could happen? The worst that could happen. I mean, I would go there, and then I would sit there in that that worst that could happen, whatever it was that time. Always at night. Almost always at night. When there were no distractions and I was trying to get to sleep and I couldn't because I was keeping myself awake with these thoughts going around and around and around with that hamster running on the wheel as fast as he could. Then there's the stuff that's just mine. Thinking about things that happened in the past that I'm not proud of, that I feel shame over, that I might say, what, what were you thinking, Spencer? What were you thinking when you did that, when you said that? Why, 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 why were you so, so stupid? Why did you act so stupidly? And I have to say that that happens a lot less. And when those thoughts do come up, I can now use some of the tools that I've learned in Al-Anon to let go of them. And also talking about them to a trusted Al-Anon friend in my fifth step, admitted to God, to myself, and to another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs, at talking about those events that, that I feel shame over has really defused them, removed a lot of the sting. I can still look at them, I can still touch them, I can still feel some pain, but I can also say, you know, that I was a different person then, and that it's over, and the only thing I can do is move forward. I have to leave the past in the past, and sometimes that works better than others. I got a lot of input from y'all for this episode, so I'm going to start, I think, with a voicemail, A voicemail from Laurieann.
1: Hi, Spencer. This is Laurieann, and I am calling in response to the episode I just listened to on resentment, and it couldn't have come at a better time. Thank you so much. I'm getting myself emotionally prepared to uh, visit with my mom, who I haven't seen in about 15 months. Related to resentment, probably, but there's other stuff as well. There was something I think Eric read, uh, resentment takes me out of today, and that really resonated with me, and for me, there's no way that I can be emotionally and spiritually sober if I'm living anywhere but in the present, and that feelings that I'm experiencing are real and that is a part of the present. However, for me to handle that responsibly by acknowledging those feelings, nurturing myself, taking care of myself versus feeding those feelings into the obsessive thinking and this I guess goes with your with the other feedback you're requesting and that also goes along with Slipping into the martyr and victim role. So for me, and that, that becomes intoxicating. I actually intoxicate myself with negativity. And I cannot change my feelings, but a message that I got from one of my meetings this week, uh, and it was actually an open AA meeting. I, I'm a now an honor, but I do go to a lot of open AA meetings it was using of living and talking about how we can change our routines or change our perspective. And for me, when I'm stuck in a place of obsession um, or especially resentment, that will drive me into obsessive thinking. I can't change the way I feel, but I can find a different activity or pick up a tool, something that'll change my location. You change your ride home, the, the, Direction you go, and these are tools from AA. Yeah, you know, anyone that says oh AA, it's just about not drinking. No, um it's the same tools. This is this is what's suggested by AA when you know when there's an obsession about drinking, which will lead to intoxication. Well, for me, just obsession about what's bothering me intoxicates me with with. Uh, Negativity. So along the lines of intoxication, maybe Eric wants to look this up. Uh, thank you for all the dictionary references, Eric. I think it's great. Intoxicating doesn't have to mean alcohol. I mean, intoxication is it's from toxins, and we pick those up on on so many different things. And for me, it's a lot of negativity that's what i wanted to share.
0: So thank you so much for for this episode for all the episodes. And thank you, Lorraine. A um, couple of things i heard in there. First that you know we can get recovery tools from from anywhere. You know i've seen the book sober living lying around the house. i haven't read it. it sounds like it's a, something to pick up because as you say, the the tools for relief from obsession about drinking from intoxication of Thoughts, not necessarily substances, are there, and we can, we can use those in many different ways. We also got an email from Julie. She says, Hi, Spencer. First of all, thank you for doing this amazing podcast. It has been my introduction to the world of Al-Anon and so useful in my life. I have been drawn to the principles of 12-step programs for a long time. I have participated on and off in OA and found huge help attempting Clutterers Anonymous. Not really having a, quotes, qualifier in my life, I had never really thought about Alanon. I found your podcast by accident and started listening. I found right away that I so closely identify with pretty much everything you and your co-hosts and listeners say. Even though there was not really substance abuse in my family, there was mental illness which was hidden from extended family and the outside world. So in terms of family secrets, I think my experience is very similar to those of al And I certainly have every single one of the personality traits. Listening to you is somehow like coming home to a place I belong. Anyway, I'm writing now because you had asked for examples of obsessive thinking, and I'm happy to have the chance to vent about mine. Please note, I just looked at the website and realized that you specifically asked about obsessions with other people's behavior, and my examples here are not about that, although I do that too. But I would love to get your feedback on this as well, as the obsessive thoughts I describe here have a huge negative impact on my life and on my program. My obsessing involves faith in my higher power. I very strongly believe in a higher power who I call God. But I guess I'm also insecure in my faith, or I have a too-good-to-be-true complex. I find myself very hurt and defensive when I hear or read the thoughts of militant atheists. I'm very accepting of what anyone believes, and I have nothing against atheists in general. But when I hear the words of these people, who openly mock faith, my reaction is extreme hurt and sadness. I guess it hurts because there's a part of me who fears they are right. The thoughts take two forms— in one, I play a ridiculous game of one-upmanship in my head. I think, I'm fine, I'm safe, there's nothing that I can't handle with God's help. And then the other part of me says, oh yeah, what about if, insert any tragic or d- disastrous thing that has ever happened to anyone, you really think you could handle that? When I try to think, yes I could, it gets into upping the ante until it's almost laughable. What if someone strung you up by your toenails, what about that? Until, of course, it gets to a point when I think, no, that would be awful, I couldn't handle it. Maybe there isn't so much to this God stuff after all. Maybe I'm not okay. As I write this, I know the answer lies in one day at a time. Am I okay right now, in this minute? Yes. Then I'm okay. And God will help me through the next minute and the next, and I don't need to deal with anything that isn't happening to me right now. It seems obvious, but my brain thinks it's making a good argument at the time, and I really let it unsettle me. The other form my obsessive thinking takes is somehow feeling defensive of God. I recently heard someone say, I don't believe in God because any God who would allow war and starvation and childhood cancer, I would want nothing to do with a God like that. If I'm faced with this argument, I feel like I'm somehow required to defend the existence of all those things in order to justify that I believe in a higher power. Personally, I really do have a belief system that says there are things we do not understand, and that the horrible realities of life somehow make sense beyond human understanding. But you know what? I feel guilty even writing that in this email, because the voice inside me says, Oh, easy for you to say. You're not a refugee watching your child drown, trying to get to safety. You're not starving. If you were the one suffering all that, maybe you wouldn't be so quick to say, It makes sense. And that really brings me to the crux of the whole thing. A sense of guilt and fear. Like when I pray about something and it works out well, I'm so grateful. But the other part of me says, how dare you believe in a personal God who hears your prayers and guides you when there are so many people suffering things you can't even imagine. Maybe all of this is evidence that I am an Al-Anon and how much I need this program. See how I'm in charge of everything? I'm even in charge of God and being his PR person here on earth in order for me to allow myself to believe and trust I must first personally be able to explain every unexplainable mystery of life. As I write this, I'm guessing that other al will maybe understand what an exhausting job this is. Any advice on how to give it up? Thanks for letting me share, and thank you again for providing me this window into the world of Alanon. Sincerely, Julie. And then she wrote back, And after I sent it, it occurred to me that there are some commonalities between my obsessive thinking and the kind that's focused on controlling another person. All my preoccupation with atheists and their criticisms of faith, I guess I'm spending far too much time focused on what they think and believe, wishing I could change it, thinking I could somehow convince them that belief in a higher power is not stupid, if I only had the right words. No surprise that the same threads show up at many times and in many situations. Yeah, yeah, if you just said the right thing, they would understand, and they would totally change their minds. If I just said the right thing, my loved one would stop drinking probably not happening although my loved one did stop drinking it was not because of anything i said what's the deal with obsessive thinking and and what kind of problems come from it you know we spend time thinking about problems but doing that causes problems i've already talked about not being able to sleep julie talked about the way it just takes her into this spiral and she can't get out of it you know so it takes time it takes away from maybe positive things that i could be doing or things that that I need to do, because I'm sitting there chewing on these thoughts, I can get sad and depressed when there's really no reason. Living in the, as as the expression has it, living in the wreckage of the future, I can be obsessing on the things that might go wrong, that, that aren't going wrong, that haven't gone wrong, and might never go wrong, and might take me away from the fact that it's a beautiful day outside, and I could be enjoying sunshine and warmth, or I could be enjoying the beautiful snow. But no, I'm sitting here chewing on this thing that's actually not going to happen. This is expressed pretty well, I think, in the book How Al-Anon Works, which is our basic Al-Anon text in the first chapter. We who've been affected by someone else's drinking find ourselves inexplicably haunted by insecurity, fear, guilt, obsession with others, or an overwhelming need to control every person and situation we encounter. Thanks, Julie. There we are. An overwhelming need to control. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the tools that I've found that help me relieve obsessive thinking, help me let go of it. And I think the first one that was really important for me was some of our slogans, um, let go and let God. I could just say to myself, let go. Even if I didn't have the let God part yet, I could say let go. Started to learn about detachment, is a quote from the the anon Detachment pamphlet. It says detachment allows us to let go of our obsession with another's behavior and begin to lead happier and more manageable lives. Lives with dignity and rights. Lives guided by a power greater than ourselves. When I was able to start detaching from my loved one, initially maybe detachment with anger or indifference, and eventually a detachment with love. It was a lot easier to let go of her behavior, to stop just letting it dominate my thoughts. Some of the other slogans, how important is it? Is this something I really need to worry about right now? This is particularly helpful for me, maybe thinking about wanting to control other people. How important is it that this person does exactly what I want them to do? How important is it that I convince this person that my detail of thinking about a particular thing is right and their detail is wrong? How important is it? One day at a time. Can I do this thing today? I only have to do this thing today. I only have to do this thing at this moment. I don't have to think about whether I'm able to do it forever. Am I okay today? I'm okay today. We'll let tomorrow be tomorrow. Just for today, same thing. It's nice reading in our Daily Reader Courage to Change, March 4th, about thinking and pausing. Before I get into trouble, before I open my mouth to react or get lost in obsessive analysis of another person's behavior or worrying about the future, I can stop. Then I can look at what is going on and my role in it. Then I can listen for spiritual guidance that will remind me of my options and help me find healthy words and actions. We talk about the pause button, you know, take a moment, take a moment. Do I really need to pick this thing up? Stop, look and listen. What's real? what's real, and what's available for me to, for, to help. I found some online articles, as you might imagine. There's there's lots of them. I found this one from Deepak Chopra on Oprah's website, and I will put a link on our website at therecovery.show/slash nine seven. He starts out with, Every day, unwanted thoughts enter our minds. What's wrong with me? I keep doing this to myself. I'm stupid. I'm all alone. I never get a break. How will I ever get out of this? And provides some things to do, things to try to get rid of this negativity, these obsessive thoughts turn negativity into positive action get a healthy outside perspective that goes right along with the talk to an Allon friend because when I when I share my thoughts about my fears with somebody I, I can start to see that maybe they're not real. Don't indulge the level of futility okay, if you can't do something you know do what you can now and then let go. Expand your awareness. This is the the looking that the reading from how oh, well, Mark's talked about. A couple of other hints here. Develop a higher vision of your life. What is your vision? Where do you want to go? And celebrate your successes th- that there are things that it's not all bad, you know? It's never all bad. So it's interesting. an interesting read. I, like I said, I'll put a link. So I think I'm going to at this point, i get another voicemail from Diana.
2: Hi, it's Diana here. And I felt the need to be raw and share my feelings regarding obsession and thoughts. I have a sister who has a pretty severe meth addiction, and she also battles alcoholism when she doesn't have access to her drug. After her second stint in rehab, I took her into my house, and our house became chaos found drugs in the house I mean had to pat her down call the police have people arrested you name it I guess tonight I'm thinking about her and I understand that that's not my hula hoop that's not mine I don't own it but it's hard it's just so difficult and she ended up taking her daughter to a bar and, you know, punched her daughter, punched a cop, got arrested, it was on the news. I had people calling me like, hey, your sister's on the news. You know, I finally, um, after years, had to start to create a detachment and cut contact, which was one of the hardest things I've ever done to my baby sister. It was very hard, a lot of guilt for that really Just realizing that she's toxic for my family, for my my children, for me, and that she's choosing this. Our choices create our realities, and she's continuing to make these choices by recreating our childhood and the things that we were exposed to, and I'm choosing a different life, and I don't want any part in that. I guess this has come up recently because my mom called me... My mom is still very enmeshed in all of that, still believes that she can somehow fix or save her. She does not go to Al Anon, but I, I keep telling her you really need to get to Al Anon because it will help you so much to be able to listen to some of these stories and listen to how other people are feeling. And, you know, and it is such a powerful thing to find out, wow, I'm not alone. But my mom kind of laid down the law with her recently and said, no more drugs, no more alcohol. And so she got very, very violent, I would say, and and began to punch on my mom, dragged her by her hair, broke the TV over her. I mean, just got really physical with her left marks on her face. Cops ended up getting called. She ended up getting arrested. Mom had to file a no contact order, so things turned really severe. Of course, I was worried about my mom. <sighs> I guess what I'm trying to share here and my feelings is that I know there's nothing I can do, but I can't stop thinking about her because I'm worried about her. And I think, how low of a bottom does she have to get before you know, I don't want to see her dead? She's already experienced so much pain as it is, and she's just not hit that point yet. And people have cut her out. She's lost custody of her daughter on and on. It's just so hard. It's so hard, and I have to surrender her to my higher power, and I have to say, God, I'm I'm not going to obsess about this or think about this because as much as I try to help and do and be, and I've been down the road with her, it just is to my own detriment and it hurts my family. It hurts my marriage, hurts my child. It's just not worth it. But the other side to that, that's hard is not that I'm making excuses for her, but I know the reality of the trauma that we endured as children, the severe abuse that we endured. And there are things that, she went through particularly over me that, you know, I just feel like, you know, there's so many holes there and there's so many voids and deprivations. It's like, I understand why she's reaching for this and that and the other, but at some point, you know, she's going to have to hit that bottom and and find that place for herself where she reaches to that healthy place. And I just hope she finds it because there are good resources out there from Al-Anon, you know, AANA to therapy and good reading materials and I just keep hope alive and I keep praying for her. But that's kind of what I'm feeling like tonight. I know I shouldn't be thinking about it obsessively and I need to just surrender. I just feel like every minute I'm over here surrendering to God. Here you go, God, take it again. Oh, here you go, God, take it again. You know, because it's like the worry tries to set in. You know, it just takes, it takes from my life and my situation. And I don't know what else to say about it. This is my raw feelings. This is really what I feel about the situation. Not that it's tied up in some pretty tight little bow, but I'm just worried about her. Hoping that maybe you had some advice or information um, regarding obsessive thoughts. And I guess letting someone just kind of go spiral out of control, step aside and, and let them do their thing and, and hope that they figure it out. You know, anyway, thanks for letting me share. All right. Take care.
0: Diana, I hope that the things that I'm talking about here, some of them may help you. Okay, let's go on and look at some more ways of relieving our obsessive thinking. So I talked about letting go. The, uh, there's a lot of reference to gratitude in our literature and how gratitude can help change our attitude or we can carry an attitude of gratitude and it helps to les- lessen the negative thoughts. It helps to lessen their grip on us, the, the, the amount that we obsess. The Gratitude List tool is one that, that I have talked about before, and I found a reading in Allenon book titled "Having Had a Spiritual Awakening." This is from Chapter eight, and again, I'll put a link to that book at therecovery.show/one 197 Often I'll detour at a particular letter and find myself giving thanks for apples and Alexandrites, apothecaries and astronauts, ants and anchovies, or bottles and bakeries, bumblebees and blueberries, bathtubs and brushes. The more overwhelming the problem I'm entertaining, the more my gratitude list helps me. First, by taking my mind off my obsession, and second, by reminding me of the multitude of delightful and peculiar items in the world around me. Again, that's from the book Having Had a Spiritual Awakening. Thinking of positive things, this echoes, uh, I think, the article from Deepak Chopra, Thinking of Something Positive, and here's a quote from Courage to Change November 1st. When my thoughts race out of control, I need to stop. I may do this by breathing deeply and looking at my surroundings. It can help to replace the obsessive thoughts with something positive, such as an Al-Anon slogan, the serenity prayer, or another comforting topic that has nothing to do with my problem. Sometimes just distracting myself, I like to read a lot. I read books on my phone, which has the advantage that they're with me anywhere, and that the phone lights up so I can read them in the dark, and so... Something that that I still use when I wake in the middle of the night and I'm chasing thoughts around in my head. Usually these days they're about work or maybe about my parents' failing health. And when some of these other tools don't work for me, I can pick up my phone and I can start to read a little bit. Usually that will distract me. It will put me into an imaginary world. Then I can go back to sleep. So just doing something. Listen to music. Go for a walk. Play a game do a puzzle, read a book, can be enough sometimes. The reading earlier mentioned the serenity prayer, praying for the will of my higher power, praying for just (laughs) remove this burden from me. And I found this in the book Help, Thanks, Wow by Anne Lamott about prayer. She says, we can pray, am I too far gone? Or can you help me get out of my isolated self-obsession? We can say anything to God. It's all prayer. You know, I like that reminder. Let's hear from Pat, who called just last night. Thanks, Pat.
3: Hey, Spencer. This is uh, Pat from the West Coast. It occurred to me, I know you're going to do one on obsessive thinking, that really resentments are a form of obsessive thinking. For obsessive thinking, for me, I think I said in the past, it really... I think resentment actually fills the bill. That's pretty much most of my obsessive thinking, with the exception of risk-making uh, and perfectionism and going over and over, perhaps replaying it over and over again, and that's where taking the, looking at it through the lens of the program, step four on it, sharing it with my sponsor after this happens a lot, I it's a lot, for i not comfortable. There's an internal point that I'm not comfortable with the results of an action. So then if I step forward and with myself, and step five bring it to my sponsor, um, then I'm ready to look at whether I need to make amends around that. And of course, I'm making the advance. And of course, all of that leads into resolution of list making. Remember, um, one of your really early podcasts, one of your guest hosts talked about always making, putting too many things on her list for any given period of time that she's had to do them. That's one of those things where my lists are no longer specific time periods. They're running lists. I can prioritize them and I can use first things first and one step at a time or one day at a time or one task at a time to work through those and reprioritize them as I go and feel comfortable with it, not judge myself. For not finishing everything, um, so I want to thank you so much for all of your podcasts. I'm listening back to your podcast from beginning to end again. I've been listening to Step Eight from very early on. I think it's in the early 30s of your podcast, and that that I just had a little disagreement with my husband, and here I come in and I'm listening to program material and turn sure up. I was this much younger podcast, came exactly the words that I needed here. Very helpful. So thank you so very much. Take care and uh, have an excellent story. Bye-bye.
0: And again, tying resentments to obsession. I like this one about obsessing, obsessing over the list. Oh, my God, I have all these things to do. You know, and making a dynamic list, as Pat says, turning it from a burden, turning it from a burden, the list is a burden, all the things that I have to do into opportunities. These are things I can do. These are things I want to do. But without the the obsession, without the obligation that a list can put on us. Another article about obsession from the Georgia Psychological Association, and I pulled this quote from it, obsessive worry is like a negative spiral. Oh my God, it is. So this article is titled, How to Stop Obsessive Worry. Some of the bullet points here, obsessive worry is like a negative spiral. The downward pull of an obsessive spiral can be compelling. It takes a deliberate act of will to stop obsessing. Maybe find an alternative positive obsession. So as we talk about doing crossword puzzles or playing video games, sometimes can, can take my mind off of things, can, can break me out of that downward spiral. I think that's the point. Physical exercise. For some of us, exercise maybe sometimes can turn off the brain or, you know, produces those endorphins that get us feeling better. Music, talk to someone else. Relax, meditation. Meditation can be a tool. Unfortunately, also, if we're not really good at it, like maybe me, meditation can be an opportunity to continue to let those obsessive thoughts go the practice of, and this is, so when I'm not obsessing, if I can practice meditation, if I can practice letting thoughts go out of my head, if I can practice this thing of watching my thoughts rather than engaging in my thoughts that is part of mindfulness meditation, then it's it's easier to do when those thoughts do try to grab hold of me. Again, from Help Thanks Wow by Anne Lamott, uh, she talks about the God Box concept. She says, on a note, I write down the name of the person about whom I am so distressed or angry, or describe the situation that is killing me, with which I am so toxically, crazily obsessed. And I fold the note up, stick it in the box, and close it. You might have a brief moment of prayer, and it might come out sounding like this. Here, you think you're so big? Fine. You deal with it. Although, I have a few more excellent ideas on how best to proceed. And, you know, that's what I love about Anne. She's just so honest and real because even when i'm giving things away to my higher power i have some ideas i i have some excellent ideas on how to proceed they're probably wrong but i have them and they are excellent obsessive thinking is letting thoughts chase around in my head with no result with a downward spiral often just down and down and faster and faster and round and round it affects my life. It takes away from my life. It takes away from my ability to do things to sleep. It takes me into negative places that are not real. And I have a lot of tools that I've learned from from on to help me relieve obsessive thoughts, to help me let go of of my need to fix my loved one, of my need to make their life better, to control their life, to let go of a future that may or may not happen. Diana talked in her voicemail about being afraid of the ultimate end of addiction, which is death. And yeah, that's a fear, but it's not happening today. And if it does happen, you will get through it. It won't be pleasant. You won't be happy, but you will get through it. And worrying about it today does nothing. Does nothing to help it not happen. And as you and your family have found, attempts to control an, an, an addict's actions, an addict's use. Usually do not end happily. Don't help us. Don't help the addict. I know that my wife found sobriety on her own. And she made it, but I didn't know if she would. There were times when I was afraid that it was going to end in death. We can get through. We can let go. We can find positive thoughts. We can find relief in our program. We can find relief in help from our higher power. I want to close with another reading. Like I said, there were too many good readings. This is from also from Courage to Change. It's September 4th. As we let go of obsession, worry, and focusing on everyone but ourselves, many of us were bewildered by the increasing calmness of our minds. We knew how to live in a state of crisis, but it often took a bit of adjustment to become comfortable with stillness. The price of serenity was the quieting of the constant mental chatter that had taken up so much time. Suddenly we had lots of time on our hands and we wondered how to fill it. Having become more and more serene as a result of working the al program, I was surprised to find myself still grabbing for old fears as if I wanted to remain in crisis. I realized that I didn't know how to feel safe unless I was mentally busy. When I worried, I felt involved and therefore somewhat in control. As an exercise, my sponsor suggested that I try to maintain my inner stillness even when I felt scared or doubtful. As I did so, I reassured myself again and again that I was safely in the care of a power greater than myself. Today I know that sanity and serenity are the gifts I have received for my efforts and my faith. With practice, I am learning to trust the peace. And the reminder, today I will relish my serenity. I know that it is safe to enjoy it. And it ends with an English prayer, very very brief. Be still and know that I am with you. The first musical selection that I chose for this episode was actually suggested by one of our correspondents, Laura and it's the song "Gravity" by Sarah Bareilles with interpretive dance by Kayla and Copono. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know. Uh, I think it's from a, the TV show. So you think you can dance? The dance portrays her fight with addiction with the the male dancer playing addiction. She keeps getting away and then keeps coming back because that's what obsession does. We we try to put it away and then it brings us back. It's that that lure that brings us back in. So I'll put a link to the video of the dance with the song in the show notes at therecovery.show slash 197. Here's a little bit of the lyrics from the song. Something always brings me back to you. It never takes too long. No matter what I say or do, I'll still feel you're here till the moment I'm gone. You hold me without touch. You keep me without chains. Obsession, Yes. In this section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings, and our lives this week. And it's been it's been a week of of self care, taking care of myself physically by getting to the gym. Also, the other day I was not feeling completely well. We might be coming down with a cold, and so I got a lot of sleep, slept in late, stayed in bed for a while, and uh, feeling better now. So either it wasn't a cold coming on, or managed to avert it also, some, you know, vitamin C and that sort of thing. My Saturday Al-Anon meeting, first of the month, April 1st, we uh, have a table that, as I've said, is working through the book, Blueprint for Progress, our fourth step workbook, our inventory. We're working it as a group, and we're in the chapter on character traits, and there was one about caring versus indifference, and there was a question there about, am I overbearing, or overprotective. And I thought, well, why is this about caring versus indifference? One thought that I had was that if I care about somebody, if I am taking their needs into account in my actions, or maybe turn it around, if I'm indifferent to how they feel, if I'm indifferent to their needs as they see it, then... That's what happens when I'm overbearing. That's what happens when I'm overprotective, that I'm placing my needs and wants ahead of, above their needs and wants. I hadn't really thought about that before, and I don't know if that's why the authors of the book put that question in that section, but it was a really interesting and sort of enlightening thought. So with that, we'll look forward to future weeks. Next weekend, I'll be spending a good part of the weekend locked in a church with, I don't know, 50 or 80 teenagers, young teenagers, so 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And so probably will not have the energy to record a full podcast. And I will uh, find a good open talk and give that to you next week. Looking forward to having an Allatine episode. Um, I had one person write and offer to talk about adult child experiences. And if maybe one or two other people, maybe you want to sh- just share, record a message, and email it like Diana did, or call the voicemail, like Pat and Lorianne did. Um, share your experiences as, as an adult child, and I think particularly with, um, we were talking about maybe the ACOA program, and as an al not understanding, not knowing really what the difference is, um, except knowing that there are differences. So if, anyway, if you want to share your thoughts, Alatine, adult children, Call us, email us, you can call and leave a voicemail, 734-707-8795. You can send an email to feedback at therecovery.show. Or you can go to our contact page at therecovery.show slash contact and see details about all the different ways that you can become part of our conversation, that you can contribute your experience, strength, and hope. We'd love to hear from you. So I'm going to take a short break before looking at your emails and voicemails. And The second musical selection, also available for listening on the website, is "The Police" with "Every Breath You Take." This is sort of a classic song about obsessive behavior, and and usually interpreted as a stalking song, and it, you know it sort of is. And that sort of it is, but I can also see it as an expression of the way in which I was obsessed with everything that my loved one did. In the throes of her alcoholism. And these lyrics, particularly, I think speak to that. Every breath you take, every move you make, every bond you break, every step you take, I'll be watching you. Every single day, every word you say, every game you play, every night you stay, I'll be watching you. I'll be watching you drinking. Yeah. got a, a voicemail from Christopher
3: hey how you doing my name is Christopher great show I listen to it a lot on the way to work on my morning commute it's a good way to start the day and also uh, at the end of the day when I'm going home I, I'll, I'll put it on as well And especially when I can't get to a meeting great show love it I have a quick question um, I'm looking for the, the episode in which either you or a guest uh, speaks about the monk in his cave and he returns to find the to find the demons tearing up the place, and one by one he gets rid of them, and then at the end he faces the major one. Which episode was that? I, I really want to go back to that. I wanted to use it to, for somebody I know who could who could uh, who could use it and would like that story. Anyway, if you know, please if you know, please let me know. Thanks and good luck with the show. Keep going. Appreciate
4: it. Bye bye.
0: He asks about episode with uh, the monk in the cave yeah that was hard to find i had to really think because it it, it's not in the show notes i didn't talk about that in the show notes but the episode is number 173 it was titled start where you are and the story about the monk in the cave and the demons is from a book it's the book is titled start where you are it's by pima children and i will put a link to amazon where you could buy that book I'll put that in the website at therecovery.show slash 197. And you can get to any episode by just putting the episode number after the website. So therecovery.show slash 173 for start where you are. And thanks for the reminder, Christopher. Sarah writes, Spencer, thanks for answering my email in this week's episode. I will speak up about getting a sponsor. It's sometimes so hard to ask for help. I also found your recommendation of a past podcast deciding to stay or go so helpful. Keep doing great things. You're helping so many, Sarah. And thank you, Sarah. Thank you for letting me know that that my response was helpful. Charlotte writes, Dear Spencer, after listening to The Recovery Show for several months, I feel as though I know you. Listening is like attending a really good meeting. I live in a small town, and while there are meetings within a 50-mile radius, it's not always possible to devote the time to driving to, from, and attending a meeting. Your show is a lifeline and supplements attendance at actual meetings. I've just made a donation and think of it the same way I think of putting money in the basket at meetings. There are two meetings in my small town and both have a small attendance, maybe 10 members, with an average of four to six people attending each meeting. The discussion gets really stale hearing the same stories over and over. And the meetings are frequently hijacked by dominant personalities. There are larger meetings in nearby cities, but as I mentioned, this can involve a one-way drive of 30 to 60 minutes. I've solved my own problem by regularly attending two meetings in nearby cities and supplementing with podcasts and online programs. My sponsor from one of the large meetings made the helpful suggestion of attending the smaller meetings, and if something is going on, bothers or annoys me, to analyze why, which might yield insights into my attitudes and beliefs that I might need to examine and explore. I would be interested in your take on this problem since I'm sure it's a fairly common one. I also am listening to your program on resentments. Someone who wrote in to you used the term para-alcoholic, which you said you weren't familiar with. It is an adult children term for codependent. And finally, one of your programs used the term thirteenth stepping What does this mean? Thank you for your service. Well, thanks for writing, Charlotte, and thanks for the donation also. Um, yeah, so a couple of responses here. I have had the experience of attending these smaller meetings, usually has about four to six people. Some of the people who are at that meeting seem to be still, you know, sort of stuck in a particular place and not necessarily making progress. And I hear that with with members in, in the meetings that I go to. It's just at a larger meeting, maybe, they don't stand out as much. And what I have found is that when I listen, when I listen fully, then I will hear little bits of wisdom here and there. I also try to keep my message as much as possible focused on the solution. That's really all I can do if... There's a meeting that I want to go, and and I feel that maybe people are stuck in the problem. If I start to focus on the solution, then maybe maybe somebody else will pick that up too, and maybe maybe that will change the tone of the meeting eventually. But I I need to focus on myself, not on <laughs> not on the other people, and I need to do what I need to do. And if I need to go to a meeting, and that's the only meeting that's there, then I will go to that meeting. Um, Thirteen stepping. So this is actually I think more of an AA expression. And it involves getting into a relationship with somebody who's new in the program. And it particularly often applies to men hitting on, if I can use that term, young women who are are new into AA. And it's generally frowned upon. So that's my understanding of 13-stepping. Maybe somebody who has a better understanding will write in and and give us a, uh, a deeper explanation. Thank you. Thank you for asking and thank you for writing. Laura sent an email. Hello, Spencer. I just stumbled across your podcast yesterday, and I want to express my gratitude to you for providing these to the public and for us Al-Anons out here that may not be able to make as many physical meetings as we wish to. My three-year birthday is coming up, and listening to your most recent three podcasts over the last two days, I started remembering how I felt when I first came to Al-Anon. I tried Al-Anon off and on for several years and dropped in and out. I didn't get it. I wasn't ready. My qualifier was my now ex-husband who expressed that I needed to go to Al-Anon. I didn't understand that alcoholism was a disease until I attended a family week at the treatment center for my then-husband in April of 2014. Even though I knew alcoholism was a disease, I still thought it was a choice. It wasn't until it was explained to me from a medical perspective that I really started to understand. During family week, one of the days, they turned off the lights and told us to watch this. We watched it. Everyone was silent. They played it one more time. Everyone was speechless. I don't remember... Many other times that I've been shaken the way I was when I saw this. I can't express into words what I felt when I envisioned alcoholism in this form. It opened my eyes in ways I still can't express. I thought I would share it with you in hopes that you may share it as well. And, and Spencer interjecting, this is the dance video that I talked about earlier that that Laura sent. The uh, dance interpretation of the song Gravity by Sarah Bareilles as addiction and the inability to escape it. Laura continues al has saved my life. I can't imagine living my life without my program. I may not work it perfectly, but I work it. And I am grateful every day and every moment for this program of recovery. Bless you, Laura. And again, Laura, thank you for, for sending that video. It is it is very moving.
4: Hi, Spencer. This is Akila. I was calling about the al slips episode. And I was giving it some thought, and I don't think I believe in and on slips. I don't think it's a thing. I mean, I was having a hard time figuring out why, and then I was, I was rereading Step 2 and past the Recovery, and these things stuck out to me. First, this person sharing about growing up in a family disease of alcoholism. I was so accustomed to the way my life had been that these alterations seemed awkward And ugly at first, like the half restored artwork, there were parts of me that didn't fit with the rest. I had two choices. I could stay the way I was, or I can continue being restored to what my creator originally intended. In time, the new parts blended in and didn't call attention to themselves in such a displeasing way. The more I was restored, the more consistent I became. And then the other part is there's someone in this. The name of was actually an Introducing Insanity, and a person talked about how the program, instead of saying that it restored Insanity and stuff 2, they kind of renamed it to the program Introducing Insanity. And there was something here that really worked for me. It says, I can't say I've become instantly sane since coming to al There are still so many times when I'm in the grips of this disease, and I recognize it faster because it doesn't feel good anymore. At these times, that turn to a higher power and repeat stuff, too. And the other part for me, I think, is that I am a perfectionist. And one of the things that it took me a long time to get is I don't have to be perfect. And I think when I think about a slip, I think about messing up, which means I wasn't perfect, which can get me right back. And I think that's dangerous because messing up is part of the program because that's how we learn. And there's kind of two mm-hmm. things that go with that. The first is that we have a 10th a step that says continue to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it, which shows that there are going to be times when we're going to mess up and make mistakes. And there's also this bit in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous on the step 11, and it says, Being still inexperienced and having just made conscious contact with God, it's not probable that we are going to be inspired at all times. We might pay for this presumption and all sorts of absurd actions and ideas. Nevertheless, we find that our thinking will, as time passes, be more and more on the plane of inspiration. We come to rely upon it. So for me, that just says, once again, we're going to mess up. That's part of the program. That's part of the process. And that's part of life. And so because so many of us, and I know for me especially, I'm learning a new way of living. So that feeling, I understand it. And so um, I would just say, keep coming to meetings. It gets better. It doesn't feel good necessarily, but after a while, the changes start to come, sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly. But I found it to be worth it in my life, and it's improved my relationships with, my parents who are not in recovery and um, the other people around me who I care about, who may or may not still be drinking. Thank you Uh, again. uh, Talk to you soon.
0: Thanks, Akilah, for your experience, Strength and Hope. I still think I have Ellen on slips, but that's me about myself. And that's all I know. Gretchen writes about resentment. Hi, Spencer and company. Thank you for your recent podcast on resentment. I am one of those people who doesn't feel centrally driven by resentments and grudges, but those are very much present in my relationship with my alcoholic husband. He is engaged in so many hurtful, unacceptable behaviors. Recently, as we dealt with a health crisis brought on by his drinking, I recognized that part of my resentment toward him is tied to to my shame at participating in this relationship. I feel ashamed for sometimes trespassing my own boundaries because he has created circumstances grave enough to affect his health, and I didn't feel okay just saying, suffer and possibly die. So I feel resentful about him creating these crises, but also ashamed that after so much bad behavior on his part, I still participate in some way. In part because he's made just enough changes, and I've stopped just enough enabling to give me hope. Anyhow, I was at least proud of myself for recognizing those feelings of shame recently, and naming them to myself and to him. It was more productive than just feeling angry and resentful in a vaguer sense. Hopefully this brings me another step forward. My best to all of you, Gretchen. Yes, that is... You know, I talked in that episode about the power of inventory to help us move through and past our resentments, and I think you just gave a, a wonderful example of that. So thanks. We got uh, one review on iTunes recently, said so thank you. Very short <laughs> and to the point. iTunes reviews and ratings do help to uh, make us a little easier to find by those who are seeking recovery. So if you feel so moved, go over to iTunes and give us a review. Thanks. It doesn't cost you anything to listen to the recovery show, but we do have expenses which run about $60 a month. You can help to support us and keep us on the web and in your ear. We have a donation button on the website where you can support us directly, just like Sarah, Eric, Charlotte, Michelle, and Marin did. Thank you again for your generous donations. We have also put together a list of recovery-related books. You Click on the books link in the menu at the top of the page. You can browse them, and if you order one of these books from Amazon... Through our website, we will receive a small commission. There's also links to order books directly from Al-Anon, for which we do not receive a commission, because Al-Anon deserves to keep it all. Also, the the links that I'm putting in the episode show notes will direct you to Amazon or Al-Anon, depending which book. Thank you for your support in whatever form you give it, whether it's sharing the podcast with your friends, simply direct them to the recovery.show or just listening. We are here for you. And the last song I picked is a song of, of letting go. A song about carrying on after after letting go, after loss, about letting go of the past. while still leaving the door open, but not obsessing on it, I guess, yeah. It's by Nora Jones. The title is Carry On. Some lyrics. Into the quiet, unbound, what you have lost I had never found. I lost my nerve, yet peace surrounds. So carry on. And now that all's been said and done, who said it best? Were you the one? Let's just forget, leave it behind, and carry on. Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding love and peace growing you, one day at a time.